Welcome to Screen Thoughts with Hollister and O'Toole. I have some very exciting news to start off with, Ms. O'Toole. I cannot wait to hear uh, it. Okay. So do you know who Steve Ballmer is? Wait, is he the guy that... Who's the one that did the monkey dance on stage? Ladies and gentlemen, Steve Ballmer! <laughs> I don't know if he did that, but he was the CEO of Microsoft, and he just stepped down in December. Okay. Okay. The last three weeks that he was on the job in an interview recently, he admitted to spending all three weeks watching more than 100 episodes of a, of a Netflix show. Oh, which one? Well, that's why I have good news for you. Guess which one it was. Well, obviously, since I'm putting it in front of you and trying to equate you with the height of the CEO of Microsoft, it would have to be one of your favorites. <laughs> Okay, so I'm assuming it's not Offspring. No. My Australian no, addiction. No, What one show have you loved and I have not? Hmm. Okay, moving Don't right along. I feel along. like there's so many. Okay, I'm going to quote for you. Ready? Okay. I binged in this show, The Good Wife. I watched 100 oh. episodes of The Good Wife in three weeks. It was actually, before I retired, I had everything planned out so that we were going to announce my successor before Christmas, and then the board decided not to. They hadn't made a final call yet, so can you start a new project when you think you have two weeks left or three weeks left? So I said, do what I do. What am I going to do now? And he laughed, and he said he pressed in, the visual was he pressed the TV remote, and he watched 100 episodes (laughs) in his office of The Good Wife, and I just wanted to put that out there because... People make fun of me that I'm a binge watcher, but hey, if it's good enough for the CEO of Microsoft, it's good enough for me. Now, does that mean he was so busy all those years at Microsoft, he just missed the show while it was on air for seven years straight? I think you can assume he never watched it, yes. And then the other thing I wanted to talk about is, are you familiar with Elizabeth Banks' statement that she made about Spielberg in film? Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. I did see that. Well, just review for our, our listeners in a sentence or two what happened. She came out with a statement that Steven Spielberg had never directed a feature film starring a woman. And then they had to point out that he did have a couple, like the color purple. (laughs) So she had to go back on her statements a little bit. And then I saw your post about it on Facebook. Well, you know, out out of his 30-something films, three had women protagonists as as a main player in them. How many featured non-humans? Uh, well, I, I always thought E.T. was a girl, didn't you? Oh, I never did. You didn't? <laughs> but I know that E.T. is a Galapagos tortoise. Okay, well, I'm so. also totally lying. At the time, I thought E.T. was a boy. But looking back now, after this has happened with Elizabeth Banks, you know, I think I think it could have been a girl. She-T? <laughs> this is the conversation we had a couple weeks ago, too, where... You know, the stories that Spielberg tells are based on his own point of view. And in my mind, it would be inauthentic if he made his directorial decisions based on gender equity in presenting equal numbers of movies with male and female leads. I mean, all four of Elizabeth Banks' narrative films, by the way, have had female leads and from our, oh. our, from a female perspective, all four of them. So it seems very odd to me that she would be saying that about him when, in essence, her films are all female-based. The goal should be more female directors, not asking male directors who are successful to represent us. You know, I just feel like we have to take the gender out of it, and if you can make great films, great, and they always will mirror some part of who you are as a person. I remember reading a really interesting interview with Whoopi Goldberg when 
Steven Spielberg discovered her because The Color Purple, uh-huh. that must have been her first movie role. She was a stand-up was, comedian. Well, it was her first main movie. She was successful as a comedian, but that was her first amazing, you know, major film. And yeah. when he discovered her as a stand-up comic in New York, I remember at the time she said, you know, I'll play anything. I'll play male, I'll play female, I'll play white, I'll play black, I'll play anything. And, you know, she was doing these different characters on stage. I think it is worthwhile to point out underserved demographics. It's Uh interesting to me that of all the Spielberg films, the two that I've enjoyed the most are The Color Purple and E.T. Really? Mm -hmm. Huh. By far. Wasn't that interesting? I mean, I would not say that's true for me. I've enjoyed many, many, many of his films. I find him Um, a little heavy-handed in his messaging. uh, Yeah, I sometimes like a heavy hand, you know? (laughs) Um, I do. So, you know, I, it's like, hit me over the head. And, oh, I get it now. Okay. Heavy-handed yeah, all-star. No, I, I definitely, I definitely feel that way. But, um, this is ridiculous that we keep bringing the gender fight in when really what we need to do is celebrate great movie making and let's get some, you know, female directors in there. But she said, I messed up when referring to Steven Spielberg at the Women in Films Awards. I frame my comments about his films inaccurately. I want to be clear from the start that I take full responsibility for what I said, and I'm sorry. When I made the comments, I was thinking of recent films Stephen directed. It was not my intention to dismiss the import of the iconic The Color Purple. I made things worse by giving the impression that I was dismissing Sherry Belafonte when she attempted to correct me. I spoke with Sherry backstage, and she was kind enough to forgive me. Those who have the privilege and honor of directing and producing films should be held to account for our mistakes, whether it's about diversity or inaccurate statements. I'm very sorry, Elizabeth. Look, I don't think this is going to hurt her career in any way, shape, or form, but I do wish that gender could stop being a conversation, and instead we would just make films. Great people should make films. So that's my point there. As long as everybody has equal access. Well, you know, equal access is a whole other topic, but the more but, women, if there, if, there, if there are more women in the country than men, the more women that insist on seeing female roles in film, then they will make the movies. And, you know, Wonder Woman's a perfect example of that. They'll make the movies if we show up. So and it doesn't it's really just have a, to fall to women to point out that half the world's population has been missing from quite a few films. I was struck by the fact that Patty Jenkins had to fight 12 years to make Wonder Woman. That's how long ago she pointed out that it would be nice to have one female superhero, Catwoman aside. And maybe you know, they learn so, their lesson. We'll see. You we'll know? see. So, Let's hope. Yeah, exactly. Before we get to our list of six... Um, Rumor has it, social media has it, that you watched Wild Oats. We are united with you today in sorrow. One of our listeners, Val, pointed out on Facebook that that was in her queue. It was a movie that came out last year that I totally missed. It never came across my radar, starring Shirley MacLaine and Jessica Lange. So yep. tell me, I mean, is, should we should we be recommending it as something to pick up on Netflix? I enjoyed it. I mean, I used to be a big Shirley MacLaine fan, and then ever since her turn on Downton Abbey, I feel like she's just been cranky in all of her you, roles you know, without any angry levity. you about her, her Downton Abbey performance. I feel like she's hyper angry. So yeah. it, was, it was fun to watch great actors acting, but Jessica Lange totally cracked me up, and there was a very good part in it for Demi Moore. I just feel so bad for you. Oh, it's all right. It's all right. I'm not crying about Frank. You're not? I think my husband's having an affair with that little brunette. Did you see how everybody was looking at her? Some of us were looking at the coffin. Well, yeah, I know that, but I mean... 
after that. Okay, can you give us a sentence about what it's about? It's like Thelma and Louise with a life insurance premium. Right, with no death at the end, hopefully? (laughs) Death at the beginning. Okay. And I know that we've had this on our calendar to alert our listeners when it was finally going to be released, but a documentary that you and I did a little bonus podcast about when we were at the uh, River Run score? International. Yes, it is score, uh-huh. a film music documentary, all about how music is the emotional language of a film. It's a great, great film. Music is the one thing that we all understand that we don't understand. Music has tremendous driving power within the narrative of any film. Bond. James Bond. The visual is one thing. When you add music, it becomes something else. It's a whole different experience. It's got a limited release right now. I know it's showing in New York. Yeah. And if you missed it, you can catch our bonus podcast on SoundCloud. Yeah, well, we put it up on, on Facebook, too, so... Okay, so list of six this week, this week with her stellar physicality of the work that she did on Wonder Woman combined with her White House takeover on House of Cards. This week's list of six will be our favorite things around Robin Wright. Okay, Halster, you want to start us off? No, you go first. Okay. I put as number one, I have a categorization. I think Robin Wright is a fierce but emotionally true actor who elevates any material she's handed. So huh, in what in what way? Message in a bottle comes to mind. Remember that 1999 movie? Well, that's with on my list. My, that's my favorite movie she ever did. Really? The one <laughs> yeah, based on the Nicholas Sparks novel. Well then, you know, here you you just hop off from here and tell us why. No, but I but I would I see I don't think one of the things that I I read an interview with her that she did recently where she said that the problem with her performances is that she's not somebody who shows her, her emotions easily, and she doesn't bring a lot of emotionality to the to the screen. And I think on all of her films, we don't see a lot of her feelings <laughs> behind whatever she's talking about. So, but I feel she's always delivering an authentic performance. Uh huh. Okay. Well, that's good. Yeah. I mean, she. But she said she has trouble with the emotional part of performances. If she looks back, she wishes she had been more able to show what she was actually feeling in the performance. She feels sometimes they're lacking, which I thought was interesting on her part. Hmm. But um, but my favorite movie, and no judgment here at all, right, w- was Message in a Bottle. Because? And again, I love the way she moves on the screen. I love the way she handles herself. I love that you know she's upset, but you don't have to just go down into the depths of despair with her in it. And I I liked Message in a Bottle. Um, And I like Kevin Costner in many things, and that was one of them I liked him in. It felt a little bit like Sleepless in Seattle with a bottle, you know? Yeah, only not as happy an ending. (laughs) Uh, All right, so what's your next one? Okay, I know you might not rank this as high, but I'm always impressed when people can do this, and especially Americans, because it's not what we're known for. But I've seen her in a couple of performances where I thought she pulled off some pretty authentic accents. And two movies come to mind. One is The Playboys from 1992, Hmm. where she plays an Irish girl in a small village who gets pregnant. Scandal is a contagion, Tara Maguire. Please, baby, is it? Ask your husbands. Okay. But another movie that comes to mind is a 2013 one where she performs with an Australian accent. It's the movie Adore with yeah, Naomi Watts. Yeah. Oh, you are a really good liar. 
I will never forgive you for this. And this goes to my number one point about her elevating her material. When you read the tagline, which is a pair of childhood friends and neighbors fall for each other's sons. <laughs> I mean, honestly, kind of trashy, but I watched well, it. Yeah, it's sort of almost pedophilic in its approach, but... Yeah, okay. <laughs> and yet, you know, watch. Uh, I think she does do. I, I haven't thought about those accents, but I think that's a great point. So, so I love that she's turned down roles that didn't interest her, no matter how big they were. Jurassic Park, Batman, mm-hmm. The Firm, just, just naming a few. She's not, you know, there are Hollywood people who take every big role that comes their way because it moves them to larger stardom. Mm-hmm. And I love that she's turned down those roles because she just wasn't interested in doing them. And to your point, when she said yes to The Princess Bride, she was starring in that soap opera Santa Barbara at the time. Yeah, so that was to, a big breakout role you for know, her. But to take the part, she had to agree to extend her soap contract another nine, nine months. months. Yeah. You know? Yeah, really, really interesting. So what's your last one? I'm going to end with my favorite Robin Wright quote, and it is this. I think I've always been a follow the leader with my career or maybe waiting for things to happen. Now I'm like, I'm okay. I know the direction. Whoever's on board can go with me. Oh, that's cool. I like that quote. It's funny. I'm ending with a quote too. Excellent. Yay. Um, So my quote from her is the older you get, of course, the knowingness of the truth the ownership of knowing is louder. Oh, I love that. Yeah, I do too. And also, as I get older, I feel that way too. I don't mind being louder with my own truth. And also, I think I see it a little more clearly than I did when I was you know, younger. So I like that. Now, can you get that to fit on a Post-it so you can put on your laptop next to your CJ you know, I'm, my la- it's I'm covered in Post-its. You know? <laughs> I still have what would CJ do? WW... Uh, CJD on mine. So, and that's been up there for years. So there you go. Picturing you covered in post-its reminds me of that Lily Tomlin one-woman show, Search of Signs of Intelligent Life from the Universe. Are you making fun of me? No, I like the imagery. Yeah. Okay, good. I mean, well, mm-hmm. you've seen it. You like it. Exactly. So I saw this weekend the Book of Henry. And how was it? Just the tone of voice you're using, you snobby girl, you. I know. But that sounded you... snobby? I thought that bit. was as yeah, neutral as bit. possible. Because it's really? so funny because, you know, I, I think it was you who said to me on the phone, well, you know, it's getting panned. You did say that. Do you acknowledge that you said that? Because there was that article about the director, Colin Trevorrow, where they said Hollywood's nervous because he's directing that little upcoming movie, which is the next installment of Star Trek. So Hollywood was a little nervous about the box office draw. Um, well, I don't know about that, but really what it is, is it's pay it forward with crime added. <laughs> Interesting. That Helen Hunt movie? And yeah. Was it Kevin where, Spacey yeah, where there in was, that? Yes, where there was this young boy who was totally naive, untouched by anything terrible, who just believed that if you did a good deed to somebody else, and then they in turn did a good deed to somebody else, and the world would be changed and a better place to live. And then in the end, tragedy struck. But this is... The same young, youthful, uh, untouched by negativity, confident in his point of view that the world is good from an Anne Frank kind of point of view, no matter what happens. This story, it's about me, my brother, my mom, and the girl who lived next door. Henry and Peter, they're lucky to have you. And your father's lucky to have you, too. Stepfather. And... So so I was fine sitting through it because I love those messages. They just really mean something to me. And they I always walk away with some little tidbit 
that was worth going. One of, and one of the conversations he has is with his mother. She's saying, he's asking why she didn't step in in a grocery store when something bad was happening. And she said, it wasn't my business and there wasn't anything I could do. And he said, well, you know, mom, there are worse things than violence. And she says, what? And he says, apathy. Wow. And, you know, it was a moment for me where it was like, I, I like that combination of, you know, apathy is worse than pretty much everything. You know, to do nothing is almost worse than doing, you know, whatever whatever you try to do. So, so while I wouldn't rush to see it, if you have an afternoon where you have nothing going on and it's playing and it's a good time for you to go or whatever, or watching it when it comes out on, on Netflix or something... Um, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting. And the plot is obvious, you know, immediately that there's a bad guy. And in the end, you know, he's not going to get away with it because how would that possibly work if he did and yada, yada. So, um, so, so is that a recommendation you can live with? <laughs> well, was that a recommendation? Um, and how were the performances? Cause I know it's Jacob Tremblay, who was the boy in room. And again, Naomi Watts from the Robin Wright movie. Yeah, Adore. Jacob Tremblay's got that guy, that kid down. You know what I mean? He's, mm-hmm. he's himself. And I don't know. Have you seen him on Instagram? No, I didn't know he was on he Instagram. He has a major Instagram presence. He has this grin in every single image on Instagram that says that nothing in his life, he's never in a bad mood and everything is always perfect. And so he was made to play this role. It's a really good role for him. Now, is he so busy on Instagram because he's not yet old enough to be on Facebook? Um, no, I think Instagram is certainly a, a... Instagram is where you'll see the stars. They're not in Facebook anymore. Um, I don't know if they ever really were, but they're all on Instagram. Interesting. Yeah, so so yeah, I thought... I mean, his perfor- they're all, all the performances are solid. The script is nondescript, <laughs> but not painfully inaccurate or unbelievable. It's just, even the, even the quote that I'm giving you, there are worse things than, than violence, really apathy. I mean, there there would have been a, there should have been a more eloquent way to say it, but the sentiment is good. I don't know how you do it all by yourself. Come on, I have Henry. Find me another male of the species who's more grown up than him. I'd like to. So, so I guess you're going to run there, right? You're going to run there and like pay, you could pay, probably pay double. They'd probably let you. I don't know. I might go knock on Mr. Microsoft's door and watch some more The Good Wife with him. <laughs> okay. Okay. And then you saw Beatrice at dinner. I did. And, you know, this is my kind of genre. What's with you and meals? Didn't you do one of these a month ago? You know, I did feel like I had to remediate a little you know, bit from the, the dinner. Food. What is that? I'm not really all about the food, but the dinner, you know, I enjoyed the book and the movie was flawed on so many levels. And it's interesting you bring that up because Chloe Sevigny was in both movies, The Dinner and Beatrice at Dinner. So I'm glad she at least made it to a dinner with more tension in it. And she was also at the Provincetown Film Festival. Yes, yeah, getting feted. That's right. Yeah. Chloe Sevigny is yeah, just it was on last the weekend. circuit. Yeah, she did very well. They, you know, everyone really enjoyed her her talk. So did you like it? There are certain things that I really liked about it, and it's definitely my kind of genre. It's what I like to call the interloper genre, where it feels very much like a stage play. Huh. And you have someone outside a milieu pop into that milieu and question all its foundations. You know, in this case, it's Salma Hayek, who plays a holistic healer. Can I uh, get another bourbon, hun? Oh, no, Doug, this is Beatrice. She's staying for dinner. Oh, you were hovering. I just figured you were part of the the staff. Well, I know you. Doug's famous. He's been on the news. I don't know why. I think I know you. Ever dance in Vegas? (laughs) 
And I already had great affinity for Salma Hayek's character at the beginning of this movie. I, too, have broken down in someone's driveway where you're just so mortified, right? That you're there, you're stuck, you're waiting to get out of there. Connie Britton, of course, invites her to the dinner. And what's interesting is I'm not sure you really get this from the trailer, but she is truly no shrinking violet. When she's interjected into oh, I this got, I got that environment, in the trailer. Absolutely. You did, I mean, yeah. she really grabs the conversational reins. So whereas I completely agreed with her Weltanschauung and alternative healing and all that, she did break several rules of good dinner etiquette. But it was like watching a celebrity boxing match between Salma Hayek and John Lithgow, who we last saw in The Crown. And I really liked watching that fight. I think that fate brought us together. For what? I don't know. Revenge, maybe? And this is what the director, Miguel Arteta, said about it. He said, we gave these two characters the same strength of conviction and made the best arguments we could find to justify their beliefs. Hmm. Our intention is to see that even though we all feel we have good reasons for doing what we do, missing each other and not understanding that we're in the same boat is the constant tragedy of our lives. There's a moment in the movie where Salma Hayek pulls out a guitar and she sings. And the theme of her song is what the director said is the theme of the movie. So so here it is in his words. I believe that all of us, whether we are immigrants or not, have a yearning, something that is missing in our lives that compels us to remember a time when things were simpler and better. It's like wishing for an impossible time that can never come back. One of the most interesting takes about the movie, two of my friends, Tony and Christoph, they came with me and they pointed this out after we saw it. You know, Hollister, how I like to joke about if we were in Downton Abbey, you would be upstairs and I would definitely be downstairs. Well, you like to joke about it. I I never thought it was very funny, but okay, yes. I'm aware aware of your POV on that, yes. (laughs) Okay, well, in real life, Salma Hayek is really the upstairs. She's playing the downstairs in this movie, if you will. She married Francois-Henri Pinot who is the CEO of Caring, that enormous French multinational that owns brands like Gucci and Yves Saint Laurent and the world's right, but top she was, Bordeaux you know, vineyard. In her own right, very upstairs before she even married him. I mean, she's a very successful actor. I know, right? So here's my little statistic for you this week. Do you want to guess how many billionaires there are in the world? Not enough and more than, <laughs> more than there should be. Very good answer. 1,426. So her husband's one of them. Um, well, I, how, how many actors play people other than their own selves anyway? I mean, most actors are playing a role that's not them, right? You, one would hope. You know. <laughs> there you go. So do you recommend it? Well, like I said, there are some scenes I really enjoyed, but there were mm-hmm. parts that really needed some smoothing out. So I felt as though it might be a heavy-handed message movie trying to masquerade as a finessed perspective. It mm-hmm. felt like it would have made a very interesting short at a film festival. And in fact, the movie wasn't that long. It was only about 83 minutes. You know, it's funny. When I saw the trailer, I didn't like the trailer because it made me feel uncomfortable when at one point he th- he's asking her to he doesn't realize she's a guest and he's asking her to serve water so I mean you know he mis- misunderstands her role in the room 
and I was so un, un, disquieted and uncomfortable with that. I just didn't want to see the movie. Were there a lot of moments like that? Was it was it constantly challenging the status quo of what everybody sort of performs in? They did it well where there were light moments, but then some very aggressive moments. So she uh-huh. has a very aggressive response to him. And no one is entirely on one side of the fence or the other. What were you thinking? My relationship with that guy paid for this house. I kind of feel like I don't even know you. You don't know me. So, for example, I think he really liked the fact that she challenged him. And in some respects, you can say he kind of took it well. It was interesting because I remember something someone said to me once where they said, you know... It's very interesting that when you get some of these CEO types, a lot of them love to have personal trainers. A personal trainer told me this, and I said, why is that? And they said, well, we're one of the few people in their lives that just stands there telling them exactly what to do and to work harder. And it's it's almost as though they're seeking out that power inversion. You know, it's funny because I think, I mean, I, you know, I, I've certainly known my fair share of CEOs. I think they like trainers because they love the way they feel afterward and they love to win. And it's a chance to compete with themselves to a, to an end of, of success. So, I mean, I wouldn't say it's because they like to be told. I mean, I, you know, I would totally take umbrage with that. But you know what, Hollister? That means you probably popped out of a gym upstairs. <laughs> exactly. And in the movie, I think John Lithgow, he definitely respected the fight in her. It does raise some interesting questions, though, about healing versus killing. And my favorite line is when she says to him, You think killing is hard? Try healing. You can break something in two seconds, but it can take forever to fix it. It's funny. I haven't seen her in any... She hasn't done a lot of, of films since she got married and had a child, right? You know, she's done a lot of producing. So huh. she was the executive producer of the American remake of Ugly Betty. I didn't realize that back in 2002, when she was in Frida, for which she was nominated for an Oscar, she co-produced that film. Hmm. So, yeah, good for her. But someone I just want to give a shout out to in the film is Amy Landecker. I thought she did a great job. You can tell she has a stage background. When I first came to the United States a long time ago... Did you come legally? Yes. Oh, this tenderloin was amazing. So was the fish, so buttery. Interesting, very interesting. Well, I, I think I might try to pick this film up now. I wasn't going to go, but now I might go, actually. So thanks for that great review. I'd love to know what you think, especially the ending. All right, and then I, Miss Val again, you know, who's constantly putting wonderful things in front of us that we haven't found in another place. Mm-hmm. So she said in one of her notes on Facebook, I think, she said that... Um, she had seen Catfight. Yes, with Anne Heche and Sandra Oh, your beloved Sandra Oh. Yeah. Jesus, you look like someone I went to college with. Hi, Veronica. Sa- oh, well, of course. I immediately said I'm going to watch it this weekend, which I did, because Sandra Oh is just oh so fabulous. Tell me that's a hashtag that she has going on on one of her Instagram accounts. <laughs> I don't know. I don't think she has Instagram. But Anne Heche, I, you know, I'm not a fan, never have been. But she was very good, too. But here's the standout performance is Alicia Silverstone, you know, mm-hmm. who we all know from... Clueless. Yes. You are helping me tomorrow. It pays the bills. Well, somebody has to be the breadwinner. Why is it always me? Because you're more masculine. God, that girl can act. And she's, you know, the screen loves her. Okay, but the writer-director, Onur Tukel, okay, I, I feel like I'd like to meet him for just five minutes and say, tell us how you really feel. Oh. You know, do you really need to take us to the very depths of the worst thing ever? And watching these two, there are a number of, of, 
of um, fight scenes between Sandra O oh and Anne Hesch, and but they are physically violent and mm-hmm. so upsetting to watch that the second one I had to fast forward through it. I I, I couldn't watch two women beating on each other as if they were two men, which by the way, would goes to show that I am so used to men fighting on the screen, but I am not used to women fighting on the screen. And it was very disquieting and uncomfortable to be in. Mrs. Salt, my name is Dr. Jones. You've been in a coma for two years. You know, Hollister, you are not alone because I too tried to watch the film. And for you the did? very same reason, I also fast forwarded. Maybe Elizabeth Banks should talk to him and see, okay, here's a male director who had two female stars. And but good you for and him I for doing it. You know, hello, good for him for doing it. Because if you're going to ch- make change, then you have to challenge boundaries and you have to challenge those kind of visuals. But, but the trouble with this movie is that it's mean spirited and it has, mm-hmm. you know, no hope or redeeming value unless it's a cautionary tale about the danger of hatred Mm -hmm. which is i imagine what he wants it to be and you know me like you know remember you didn't like manchester by the sea because you said it had no hope and i was like oh you need hope you don't need hope for everything until what's wrong with you (laughs) you know not everything has to be hopeful i can go deep and dark but i need a roller coaster that takes me well you know finally i went to the place you went of this was just too far off my spectrum of okay so you know i'm gonna call that one note because to me it was just so violent, but without it wasn't a good catalyst. It didn't move the plot forward. It didn't move me emotionally. I think I think the trouble with it is it's mean spirited and it has no hope or redeeming value unless it's a cautionary tale about the danger of hatred. And it so happens that the same weekend I saw this, I watched the MSNBC special on Watergate, oh. which it's the 40th anniversary of the break-in, and so they did this uh, two-hour special where they interviewed everybody in Watergate. And one of the things they talked about is that Nixon was quoted as saying that. If someone hates you, that's okay. But if you hate them back, then you'll destroy yourself with your own hatred. I lost everything because of her. It was, you know, the juxtaposition of those two messages in these two shows was really strong. So, so if it's a cautionary tale, then there's hope around that, that if you really can, one, if one of the two of them had not hated the other one, and had stopped this violence between them based on this this anger and hatred. If one of the two of them hadn't done it, then both of them would have been so much better off. So I thought that was sort of, you know, that's cool. But um, I'm not sure I need a cautionary tale about the oh, dangers well, of hate. That's because you're a I'm already on board with that message, you know. <laughs> yeah, there are people I wouldn't mind hitting. <laughs> So, but I, you know, for me, so I, I'm, I'm going to choose to say, okay, it's a cautionary tale rather than hope at the end. It's to remind us how to behave by showing us how over the top some behavior is. So while people don't beat the heck out of each other, you know, that doesn't mean they don't, they're not cruel. Women are not cruel to each other or do really behind the scenes, bad, bad things, which is the same thing as a smack in the head. Do you know what I mean? I have nothing left to do in this life but destroy you. Well, why don't you come in and I'll make you some breakfast first. But at one point, Veronica says, we don't have to do this, Ashley. And Ashley says, my spirit is broken. My heart is filled with hate. I have nothing left but to destroy you. Hmm. To me, that sums up the entire thing. They both were out to destroy the other, and they didn't care the cost to themselves, you know. Mm -hmm. So, Val, what were you thinking? (laughs) But, you know, when I saw the trailer, I thought, oh, Sandra O. and Haish." 
I can get on board. I mean, that's why I clicked play, but then went over to Wild Oats with Shirley MacLaine and Jessica Lange. Well, you know, I think you made it better. Well, I don't know. I mean, you know what? In the way, in, in recounting it to you now, I think there's worth in seeing this film. But you have to fast forward through these scenes because they're just un, they're untenable. You can't watch them. They're just brutal. And just when you think the last punch has been been placed they rise up to do it more. It's like, it, you just can't believe it. And at the end, but, I'm not going to give away the ending, but you, you, it's just a surprise ending that's, you you know, no one has learned anything. So, mm-hmm. so. Um, and very depressing. But watching Catfight, it did inspire me for a suggestion for this week's Blast from the Past film. Oh, really? What? Yes. Anne Heche was in it. It's from 1997. Donnie Brasco, which oh. starred Al Pacino in a pre-pirate Johnny Depp. When I introduce you, I'm going to say, this is a friend of mine. That means you're connected again. Now, if I said instead, this is a friend of ours, that would mean you were made guy. A capiche? Dan Hesch was in Brasco? Yep. Donnie, come here. I want to know where my husband is. We don't know. Huh. Mm-hmm. I didn't know that. Yep. I'm not a, I don't love her work, really. So I, so I loved her in Men in Trees. Now, Donnie Brasco is a very violent film. How do, you, how do you rationalize that? It's not one-note violent. How is it not? I mean, the I violence mean, take is going towards something? No, it's not just two women constantly hammering each other in a stairwell. There are moments of emotional vulnerability. Oh, okay. You know, I remember Al Pacino yeah. in the tracksuit on the couch, an undercover agent who finds himself bonding with a mobster. It's interesting. It's much more nuanced. How many times have you been to my own house? If you're a rat, then I'm the biggest mutt in the history of the mafia. If I come out, Lefty dies. They're going to kill him because he vouched for me, because he stood up for me. That's the same thing as if I put a bullet in his head myself. Do you understand? That's a, that's a great blast from the past, absolutely. So, But Val, you know, regroup, girlfriend. Like, we really need, you know, you need to redeem yourself with something else because it, it, was, it, I, it didn't leave me. It's still with me three days later, just so you know. I think Val's already redeemed herself. <laughs> okay, well, there you go. 